0: The first reading is from Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 7 to 11. So Deuteronomy 7, 7 to 11. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery from the power of Pharaoh king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. But those who hate him, he will repay to their face by destruction. He will not be slow to repay to their face those who hate them, hate him. Therefore, take care to follow the commands, decrees and laws I give you today. The second reading is from Romans, chapter 8, verses 28 to 39. So that's Romans 8, verses 28 to 39. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord.
1: How good is that? Romans 8 is all about how Jesus concretely changes your life. And uh, what a joy it's been to preach through it, to reflect on it, to do our Bible studies on it. I've loved it, and I hope you have too. And that magnificent ending, magnificent ending. I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord point is very simple, isn't it? Paul says, here's the thing I'm giving you that will absolutely change your life in Jesus Christ. And the thing he's giving you is absolute assurance of the future. Absolute assurance. See, this is the thing you can get every day. This is the thing that changes your life. This is the thing that enables you to navigate whatever challenges you face because you know where you're going and that God has a future for you. And as he expresses this assurance, for us in a Western culture, the question arises that we need to work out for us, how do we enjoy this? How do we use this? Uh, Because we're not very good at looking that far in the future. We're so used to living in the present, in the now well, I think three things that we learn, three things that we can really learn and take home. They're, in, they're printed there in the sermon outline. Uh, the first thing is that we can be assured. The second is why we can be assured. And thirdly, how we can be assured. You see, there's a joy to be had that if you have it, it'll enable you to face anything in your life without fading or crumbling, a certainty not just that God loves you now, but that he, he will always love you and be with you, a deep certainty, and nothing can shake that certainty. Nothing can separate you from that certainty, no matter what. That the Lord of the universe loves you now and will always, and that's the assurance. And once you've connected to God through Jesus Christ, that this assurance has these two parts, and I've listed them there. Firstly, that God loves you no matter what bad stuff's happening inside you. And secondly, that God loves you no matter what bad stuff is happening outside you. See, think about it from the inside. You know, sometimes we do awful stuff. Sometimes, you know, you and I say, we say, I can't believe I did that. You get so disillusioned with yourself. You say, I can't believe that God could love me after that. And Paul says, there's not one thing that you can do to bring you back into condemnation, no matter how much bad stuff happens on the inside. And same on the outside See, God loves you no matter what's happening on the outside, whether it's danger or hardship or sword or virus or whatever is happening. Sometimes you think God doesn't love me or he wouldn't love me and let all this bad stuff be happening in my life. What a mess my life is. Obviously, God's abandoned me. God doesn't love me. And Paul says to you, oh, yes, he does. (laughs) He does. No matter how bad the stuff is going on outside of you. Here you find assurance that Christ loves you deeply, no matter what. Everything that happens, God is working into a plan for his good and for our good and for his glory. Neither height nor depth, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers Anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. He's sort of stretching out the limits of language, isn't he? He's blowing things further than you can possibly imagine to say nothing can take you from his love, nothing can dislodge you from it. Every possible situation that might turn you away from God, whether it's persecution for being a Christian at work or in your family, Even if you are tortured or put to death, nothing is powerful enough to take you away from him. And he keeps you in his arms and he wraps his arms around you and gives you this assurance, you are his and he is yours. So the second point is, well, why? Why can we have this assurance? Why can we be assured? It would be great to say, wouldn't it? Okay, good, there's this wonderful assurance. How does that work out in my everyday life? And we can't so often see this because in our Western culture, there's an issue, isn't there? This talk about predestination and calling and election and all the things we've been looking at in Romans and I hope you've been enjoying um, thinking through those big things. I know there's been many big conversations around that. We find it hard, don't we? In our modern Western Enlightenment philosophy drenched individualistic objections... We hear that Jesus Christ will keep you in his love no matter what, what's going on the inside, no matter what's going on the outside, that he's totally in control of everything, that he's working out his plan, that what about free will? And this is where, in our Western culture, we often stop. What about our human responsibility? Because it sounds like God is doing all this stuff despite our choices that everything that's going on is happening is going to happen despite our choices. And if that's the case, who cares how you live? Who cares what you do? I'm a Christian, it doesn't really matter. He's going to keep loving me. So what happens to this free will that God's given me? And what kind of responsibility is there? Well, this is a huge topic, but what's interesting is nowadays the question among scientists is, do we have free will, or are we determined by evolutionary biology? That's the issue now. Natural selection determines everything about us. We think we're choosing to fall in love with someone, but actually we're hardwired to do that, so we don't really have free will. The thing is, always in these debates in Western culture, it's either an either-or. We have free will, or everything is determined, by our biology or our makeup or whatever it might be. But in the Bible, we get something very refreshing. It's, neither, it's, never, it's never either or. From beginning to end, you are always free and you're, you're responsible and your choices matter. It's not either or everything that happens in these choices is working out to the plan of God. It's not just that he foresees that you're going to make this choice on this day, take this job, marry this person, go surfing at the beach, whatever it might be, the big things, the little things, but all of these choices are part of his plan for history. Proverbs 16, verse 1 and verse 9 says this, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. See what that's saying? To you belongs the plan, but when you speak or act, it fits with God's plan. So what this says is that you, your plans are yours. Your choices are yours. You are responsible, yes. I'm responsible, yes. But the result is always exactly what God wants. It's all part of his plan. You say, how can that be? It's because you're thinking like a Westerner. <laughs> uh, the question is always either or, but why? Isn't it possible that God could fix things, work things out the same time and not violate your free will? I love the way J.I. Packer puts it. He says, and here's a quote, the relationship between God's sovereignty and our free will and responsibility is an antimony. Now, that's not a word we use very often, is it? J.I. Packer calls it an an antimony. What's an antimony? antimony? An antimony is not a contradiction. It's an apparent contradiction. It's a bit like light. We know that light uh, sometimes acts like waves and sometimes acts like particles. If, you're not, if you haven't done science for a while, you may not know that, but that's true. <laughs> sometimes light acts as a wave and sometimes as a particle, depending on how you measure it. And sometimes we don't know how that can be and scientists don't know how that works, but they know light does work that way. So we live with it. We work with it. Obviously, it's not a real contradiction. It's an antimony. It's an apparent contradiction and it's the same thing here. And I think what it means is that when you're a Christian, it means you're neither passive nor paralysed. So if you believe the future is fixed despite our choices, you'll be passive doesn't matter if you say, count me in or not. If you believe our choices determine the future, you'll be paralysed. What if I get up and sing in the wrong note? What if I don't welcome someone? Or what if I don't do it well enough? You're paralysed. Remember that old movie, Back to the Future, (laughs) which explored all of these ideas, didn't it? And there was a sense in which your choices determine the future And that was such a scary thought, the movie couldn't end on that and they had to kind of change things at the end. (laughs) Or you might be sitting there saying, no, look, Matt, I believe my choices determine the future. I'm not paralysed. Well, you should be. Because every single thing in history is interlocked and interlaced in a myriad of ways, and if you go this way or that way, it changes everything and it impacts and has consequences you've never dreamed about. And if that's true, you don't have a millionth of the wisdom and I don't have a millionth of the wisdom necessary to make those choices because you and I have no idea of all the possible consequences and changes that that decision will make and you'll be paralysed. But the Bible says it's not like that. You don't have to be paralysed and you don't have to be passive. You are absolutely responsible for the choices you make They are free. No one's forcing you to do them. If you make bad choices, there's bad consequences. But God is in charge of the future. God is the one who's overruling everything, so you can now be empowered to make choices and trust that God has everything in control. So finally then, third point, how can we be assured? How do we get this in our life? How do we live like this? Well, there's lots of people walking around Sydney today saying, oh, yeah, I believe in a God of love. Don't they? I believe in a God of love. I believe God loves everyone unconditionally. He loves me no matter what I do. But it's not changing their life. It's abstract. This God of love is somehow out there, a long way away. Love is simply a force to them, an abstract cognitive belief. But here's how the love of God can change your life. You have to personalise it in two ways. You have to personalise this love in you and you have to personalise this love in Christ. You see, I've written that there on the outline. See, how do you personalise God's love in you? Well, I've just given you a great intellectual answer. How do you deal with free will and the sovereignty of God and, and, well, there's an antimony and, you know, uh, it's an apparent contradiction, it's not a real contradiction and we don't have enough knowledge to understand how it works, but that's how it works. It's like light, waves, particles. Isn't that really interesting? It's all up here. And... We're responsible and we have to do things, yet at the same time, God's totally in control. And when it's all over, things happen according to his will. It's all very interesting, but what does it mean for us now? What does it mean for me now? How do we apply this to personalise it right now? Well, to apply it to yourself and your relationship with the God of the universe, you need to come to Jesus. Here's how it works if you can think of your relationship with God as a door, as it were. When you come into relationship with God, over the door, you see there's a verse, Matthew 10, verse 32. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. Whoever, says Jesus, acknowledges me, I will acknowledge. Whoever. So as you're coming up to relationship with God, what you're told is you've got to make a decision, you've got to make a commitment You can't be passive. But if you do make that commitment to Christ, if you walk through that door and you say, Lord, please forgive me because of what Jesus has done, the minute you walk through that door into relationship with Christ, you turn around and you have a look at what's over the top of the door. And as you walk through, you can see John 15, verse 16. You have not chosen me. I have chosen you. And you see John 6, verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And everyone who's ever moved through that door realises that in spite of all the work they did and all the commitment it took to start a relationship with Jesus, to become a Christian, to be a Christian, all the investigation it took to make that commitment, when you get in, you start to look back and you say, the reason I'm a Christian is not because I'm more spiritual, than other people, it's not because I'm more humble than other people, more intellectual than other people. It's not because of anything about me. It's simply because God kept pressing and persistently sought to love me till I came to Him. And therefore, what makes me a Christian is simply God came to me, not because I'm smarter or better, because I was more repentant or more spiritual. It's free. It's absolutely free. God is totally sovereign. And what that means, we heard it in our first Bible reading in Deuteronomy 7, those magnificent words. It was not because you were more numerous than the other peoples that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. You were the fewest of the people's. See the logic there? God says, I didn't love you because you were greater. You are actually less than the other nations. I didn't love you because of this or that. I brought you out of Egypt because I love you. And it's this wonderfully circular argument. I love you because I love you. Now, we need to get this right and uh, just you know, speak to the husbands here for a second. You know, you If you're thinking about your spouse, imagine your spouse comes to you and says, do you love me? And you say, yes, of course, I love you, yes. Uh, Your spouse will sometimes say, well, why? Well, never, okay, husbands here, never say, well, you had a sharper intellect than all the other girls. Um, You're really good looking. Um, You've got great career possibilities. You're just such a great cook. Don't say any of those. We just have so much fun together. No, don't say any of those. You say, if if you say, I love you because of this factor, or that factor, or that factor, then the person's complete identity shifts to that thing. And that's the basis for their value. And it's what secures their love. You see, the only way to answer the question is to say, I love you because... I love you it's not just sweet talk and uh, yeah it is right but there's no other way for love to operate when God says I love you he means it he says he doesn't say I love you because you're more spiritual or more repentant or more moral I love you because I love you and that transforms your identity and why is that Finally, you don't have to be smart and sophisticated and make a lot of money and be fun or good-looking. I'm just love for who I am, for myself. And if you know the reason that people love you or God loves you or your spouse loves you because of something, you'll never be able to handle failure when that thing doesn't happen. But in the divine, sovereign, electing grace of God, he loves you because he loves you. And it transforms your identity. I want to ask, have you personalised it for yourself? Because that is the gospel at work in your life. And secondly, have you personalised it in Jesus? When people say, oh, I believe God loves me and nothing can separate me from the love of God, I believe that. But I want to say, don't think of love abstractly. Jesus is the love of God. He sweat blood in Gethsemane as he faced the cross for you and me. He went to the cross for you and me. And you know what happened? All all the forces of evil in the universe were lined up against him. And he could have stopped them. He could have got down off that cross. But he knew he had to go. He could have just walked away. And as he's on that cross, bleeding and dying, as he looks down on people who are betraying him and denying him, In the greatest act of the universe of love, he stayed. Bomb after bomb after bomb was coming down on him to separate him from us, and even hell itself couldn't do it. He stayed on that cross, and nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. He held on to us. He was our saviour, and he died for us, and that is how you can know that nothing can separate you from the love of God. It's not abstract. It is very real. He loves you despite all the things in the world he loves you and so when you see Jesus Christ never letting go of you no matter what he never got off that cross he didn't abandon you then and he won't abandon you now and it's the love that each of us looks for in our life For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Are you certain of that? Because you can be. Amen.